This is podcast 338, and that was Suleiman, if I pronounced it right, by Neil Diamond. And um, the song, together with Holly Holy, which are actually very good, very gripping popular songs, you can't get them out of your head once you listen to them, by Neil Diamond, are both uh, a kind of embodiment of the religious urge to... um, spiritualize romantic love between men and women, uh, a theme that I've often talked about in my podcast, and these songs are perfect examples of the um, metaphysicalization, um, incarnationalism, the revelation-bearing character of romantic love by a wonderful popular composer with great hooks. Now, um, I want to talk a little bit about God and life, particularly uh, on my own little take, because it's been recently quite um, deepened by some interesting experiences on secularization and what's really going on with secularization. And I want to give you a, um, and particularly secularization that is um, uh, poised upon a very core bedrock of hostility to Christian religion, to the Christian faith, whether it's... You know, a lot of us think the antagonism towards Christian faith in many circles is correct because the Christian church has really hidden the gospel, the real gospel, or uh, over um, mastered it or transcended it with falsity or um, attached a great many things to quote Tully and um, Jesus Christ and one-way love and. But nevertheless, the degree of secularization is probably um, a hurtful thing, and it is definitely rooted in hatred rather than uh, in understanding. And I saw it in a new way, both because of uh, some interesting experiences I've had, but more interestingly through a very interesting book that came out a couple years ago that is so counterintuitive as to be unbelievable. And I'm going to end the uh, podcast on a musical note uh, where the um, this unusual author, a pop music note that is really uh, mind-blowing in context and really reveals the... Um, 
somehow you might call it the satanic wiles against the gospel of grace. And I'm not talking at this point about inside the church, although I feel it very strongly within the church. But so I'm reading a statement recently um, by the head of a school I once attended um, in which the um, very effective head is uh, describing or understanding or trying to put into words how he or she sees the... um, the chapel and what uh, this Episcopal school, what the chapel is now about and what values and what spirituality is really about for the young students attending this school. And it was so interesting because as I read the thing, I was made quite despondent because the author is doing handstands to talk about spirituality without once mentioning a certain three-letter word. Not once does God come into it except by implication, maybe in one sentence. And um, I said to myself, golly, the, uh, the, this, the, the, the God has really left the left the left the farm here. He's gone away. And religion is entirely inward. And if there is a God, it's all about me and finding myself. And of course, we know there's a a sense of truth in that. But if God is not outside myself, then I am of of all men the least, the most to be pitied, says St. Paul. If there not be a resurrection from the dead, which is actual and not metaphorical, then forget the whole business. And uh, then... um, a friend of mine was visiting his boarding school um, somewhere in the East Coast and on uh, his 55th class reunion. <clears throat> and he went inside the chapel to pray and he immediately, he's a religious man, and he immediately felt that God had also um, was not there uh, because of the way it had been arranged, the different <clears throat> signals that are in the chapel, specifically the, the way that the whole seating arrangement and the way that the boys worship, or boys and girls now worship, um, has been completely altered from verticality to kind of an, a, a kind of an, a, um, kind of an assembly purely. And uh, he just knelt down and he said, like he couldn't talk, talk, he couldn't, uh, couldn't reach God there. Now that's interesting. Now. What was more to the point, though, is that I then uh, attended the 50th reunion of my Harvard class in Cambridge, Mass. And while I had some wonderful, wonderful discussions with people who were very interested in one's calling and the fact that one had stuck with a Christian ministry and even a traditional form of it in many ways, uh, I had wonderful individual discussions. The absolute bedrock problem of the entire event, officially speaking, was that God wasn't in it. I mean, we've had to fight very hard to get God into the memorial service where we succeeded. Our steering committee of graduates who were in the ministry or clergy or rabbinate uh, of that era, we, we, um, from 1972, we got God in, but he, he was, there was a lot of competition, really flaky readings and uh, sort of a sense of um, kind of... Uh, over uh, diffidence, over diffidence before these many hundreds of people who had all come, several hundred of people, to memorialize dead classmates. I mean, it's not a time for superficial lame poems that come from I don't know whom, not Alan, whatever his name is. Um, so the uh, the whole thing of secularization was made abundant during a, a video at the Tercentenary Theater for all the alumni, thousands of us there, um, that was really a picture of the common turn, you might say, of Harvard uh, products all over the world um, bringing a kind of elite, woke agenda of, of uh, progressive uh, notions to the rest of the world from Dubai to Spain to um, Boston uh, to Colorado to Colombia. It was unbelievably, it was not unbelievable because it, 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 there were some good things in it, but God wasn't in it. There was a certain Supreme Court justice, newly um, 
confirmed was uh, sitting right in front of me and a friend of mine on our class here. And it was just striking the, the effort that had been made to really cut God out of it. I mean, we went to a, several um, panels of very bigwig type persons uh, speaking about various subjects of supposed interest and uh, while they were speaking, and some of them were very interesting, but no God. I looked and over over the, the panel, which once I was part of, together with Bonnie Poonzal, we were actually up there once for a gathering, but over was the Latin inscription concerning the founding of Harvard University with the original motto, Pro Christo et Pro Ecclesiae, and then the word Christ appeared in a second Latin paragraph, and here we were sitting there, and uh, God was being kept really um, strenuously, deliberately, systematically from the thing, hold barred, the doors were barred, and I said, oh my gosh, what has caused this? Now, what they'll say is, well, um, you know, the fact that numbers of uh, traditional Christians explicitly backed a certain presidential candidate or or against Roe v. Wade, or this has completely made it impossible for us to give any credence to the Christian church, given its company, its positions. And it's the assumption there is that the candidate was hopelessly blinkered and uh, horrible, um, and that's a subject that cannot even be discussed. And we just don't, I just don't discuss it ever. And then the question of Roe versus Wade or this or that movement, and it's large assumptions are being made. But I felt that the attacks on the Christian church that I was getting based on more recent things were just uh, um, retreads of old attacks that I regard, and this is a strong statement, I regard them as fundamentally satanic because they're very, um, they're very mellifluous. They're very, uh, you can really get yourself into one of these. You can say, oh, well, look what the church did. Look what this Baptist leader did over here. Look what this person did over there backing a certain candidate. Oh, didn't they really tread through the mud, the jewels of uh, the church and the life of Christ and his ethical, altruistic, generous life? Uh, haven't they compromised? But if you look back, you'll see that kind of attack always. And it's always based on the assumption that whatever the conservative or traditional church backed was by definition wrong, because we don't believe it. And if you go back, um, this is where I, um, I just let it go. I never fight it uh, in that situation. But um, I should, but I don't. However, it brought me in mind of this book, this very interesting book that I had purchased, uh, found, uh, and then uh, left in England when we were there recently because it was just too heavy. I didn't see how I could carry books back and get back without a whole new suitcase. But I left it in England. But it's entitled, it's by McFarland Press. And I strongly recommend you uh, give a look to McFarland uh, Independent Press. It's a fabulous printing house that does all sorts of unusual books, mostly on 1950s and 60s sci-fi and horror. So it's really good. I mean, they, they're the only people I know who would give an entire large book on the history of Western Museum horror films, or the history of just the 1940 Mummy movies with Lon Chaney Jr. I mean, this is gold. This is the Bible. This is heaven. This is this is uh, Fuller Theological Seminary, Trinity Episcopal School for Religion. May God bless it. Um, and they published a book uh, by a fellow named John Weaver, who I think teaches in New York State, entitled Evangelicals in the Arts in Fiction. Subtitle, Portrayals of Tension in Non-Evangelical Works Since 1895. And the author takes all the very, very antagonistic portrayals of evangelical Christianity, which you find, you, you'll find um, very um, definitely in mainstream literature in America, let's just say, let alone, you know, uh, starting with Anthony Trollope later on, let alone his mom uh, going through uh, not... not Let's exempt Dickens very much from that, even George Eliot to some extent, but you then get into, uh, you know, uh, 
that famous novelist, it'll come back to me, who lampooned evangelical Anglicanism in a very famous book, late uh, 19th century novel. The, um, but then you look at, you, 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 in other words, there's been a very strong attack on evangelical and traditional Christianity for all sorts of good reasons, such that the attacks on it outnumber the pluses, and that's certainly true today, except for certainly niche movies or niche music. But in the mainstream, it's a given. And this fella takes a completely counterintuitive take. He says, if you want to find out what's really going on, look at what they attack. And seems like such an obvious, you know, repressive, sexually hypocritical, immigrantry, uh, Theodore Dreiser, the characters in um, uh, An American Tragedy, or um, any number of uh, Mr. Bulstrode in Middlemarch by Eliot, who is much more equivocal, however, and... Um, Today, I mean, did you see the remake of The Thing? I mean, good Lord. I mean, the evil man was a clergyman, Protestant evangelical clergyman. And um, if you look at that, though, with the exception of The Thing, you might find, says John Weaver, that actually the very thing they're attacking has within it the essence of what it really is, because they wouldn't be so mad if there weren't something in it. There wouldn't be something so so angry in uh, Sinclair Lewis if someone like Elmer Gantry hadn't, like Amy Semple McPherson, hadn't gotten under his skin. The sheer velocity and vehemence of the angry nerve that has been um, pinched, uh, touched, renders the opposite more worthy. Now, that is a very interesting thing. He then takes Dune and Frank Herbert and all the... He says Frank Herbert, the the original Dune, was really an entirely deep down a debunking of a religion that was based on a God outside ourselves. Uh, He he says if you actually look, it deals very strongly with religious issues, even issues that a Christian can see and understand and have sympathy for and feeling for, and yet it is entirely based on an attack on anything like an exterior God. And he said so if you want to really understand what Christianity is, look at the very thing that is being attacked, you might be surprised. Well, I want to end this podcast and bring it to a conclusion by, it, it, but what if that were true? What if when someone says to me, well, the trouble with Christianity is you had all these horrible evangelicals supporting this or that candidate, or they're all over, you know, they're all against Roe v. Wade. They want, I mean, who can possibly, uh, even a person who wants to be a Christian, this might be interested in Jesus, who could possibly ever touch a movement that was affected by that? Well, what if the person said, well, maybe my presuppositions aren't entirely 100% you know, accurate. Well, what if what if someone were to turn around and say, well, what if the very person that's being attacked has something to say? I mean, is it conceivable that there might be? I mean, what about you know um, Saint Paul? I mean, what if the people that he was con- that he was uh, getting to be stoned to be presiding at the really the judicial execution of Stephen? What if the very people who he thought were the end of Judaism were in fact saying something that might be the beginning of an entirely new understanding of the human race coming out of Judaism initially? Well, what if, what if what if the very thing that he hated, you know, the thing that I've hated the most, you know, he who hated us most has become our greatest friend. Well, is something like that going on when you get to Harvard and there is such a strenuous and vehement blockade to anything Christian? Is there something going on? I've seen it at Mem Church. I've preached at Mem Church several times. I mean, many times. Seven, six, seven, eight. I preached in Mem Church nine times. Mem Church at Harvard Yard. And um, <laughs> Peter Gomes kept something going. But now, um, is there something there? Well, let me close with an example, which um, John Weaver brought to my attention. And then I went and got the movie in England, in England. Uh, and it's now been released. It hasn't been released ever 
but now it's been released. A very interesting movie by someone named Watkins, I think his name is. Do I have that right? Peter Watkins, um, made in 1967 called Privilege. And Watkins was the sort of founder of um, what you might call sort of cinema verite approaches to historical uh, events. He did a, a movie about the Battle of Culloden in 1745, <clears throat> as if it were taking place in modern times. He did one called War Games. He did... Um, Oh, another one related to historical events, as if it were like an interview show. You know, you're interviewing, uh, you know, Bonnie Prince Charlie. Well, he did a movie in '67, which was very much his own personal. He wrote it and he he uh, he produced it and he directed it. Uh, Peter Watkins did. I think that's his name. Called Privilege, and he wanted to show <coughs> a, um, a a hippie. It was a hippie picture of life, but he took the lead singer of, uh, hired the lead singer of Manfred Mann called Paul Jones, who's a brilliant singer, and actually works perfectly in the movie, and he wanted to take, what if you had a pop idol, this fellow, and you, um, you, you, he, he, he was persuaded by the powers that be in league with the Church of England, which is portrayed as a bunch of fuddy-duddy fools, with one exception, who's sort of Machiavellian, but basically fools. <clears throat> what if this the government, Labour and Conservative, could convince, with the uh, uh, advice and consent of the Church of England, could convince this incredible rock star, sort of the Michael Jackson, you might say, of 1967, to turn to, to turn to Christianity and become a an evangelist himself, uh, to turn into a great singer on behalf of Jesus Christ, and this is what happens. And uh, what, what a Weaver and I vaguely I remembered the movie and I didn't want to see it because I knew it was an attack on Christianity. But this is the thing, Weaver opened my my heart to this. I went and saw the movie again with Mary, and there's a song in it, and you're going to hear it very soon. The recording isn't so good. It's the best I can do. It's a remastered form from an English. Um, vinyl thing, but remastered, but it's very old school recording of this famous rock singer singing a song of invitation to Christ. And while the movie maker wants to make this evangelistic rally sort of a Nuremberg fascist, you know, with tons of bright torches, and he wants to make it into a fascist youth rally, he, but he's... <coughs> He's put disabled people, handicapped people, wheelchair people in the front, troubled people, and he has the singer singing with absolute seriousness this deeply Christian evangelistic song, which is the pure gospel. And then everybody comes forth, and it's wonderful. And then the movie goes on with Jane Shrimpton and a, a, a woman and a few other things. Um, destroy this man's, uh, quote, ministry, and we're all supposed to say, well, see, that's what happens. The church is all trying to... Um, be devious. Well, it's not the case. If you listen to it, in other words, Weaver would have said, if you listen to the song and saw what happens in the rally, you saw a very perfect illustration of what ought to actually and what really does go on in human hearts when confronted with the man of sorrows. And um, it's been twisted. So you have to almost say, well, gosh, let's look at what was twisted and used and see if it has something to tell us. Well, that's my little story. You're now going to hear privilege and underneath all the attack and all the apparent um, uh, accuracy of a lot of the attacks on Christianity and you and I are as well aware of anyone that grace has been submerged by the law in 99.9% of interchanges within the Christian church. I would go that far. Nevertheless, um, Underneath it, it's still there, and it's there in privilege. So let's listen to Paul Jones, Manfred Mann singer, do a ditty, sing, and listen carefully. You'll have to really listen carefully to this uh, song from Privilege, an excerpt from it. Love you. Mm -hmm. 
a sun began to shine. A sweeping spirit moved me. A shining light was mine. I see a pasture all green and gold. A shepherd walking so brave and bold. A congregation fall on their knees. His arms outstretching to you and me. You and me. Ah! 